0: All I can say, Paul, is that I'm definitely going to hell for the things I did after hours (laughs) in that church because obviously we were using things the way it never had been intended to be used. At that point, I had created a monster that would not die. It was one of those things where once you started, it, you couldn't get off the
1: train. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate weekly classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks, as always, for hitting play. Now, it's another double interview episode today, and both guests are called Greg. What's the chance of that, eh? Now, I've got to say that interviewing today's first guest was probably the most fun I've ever had in an interview. I don't think I've ever laughed that much before. Greg Kinn had some big hits in the US in the early 80s, and is such a great character, as you'll hear. He's got some great stories like a mix-up with squirrels with Bruce Springsteen, flying saucer UFO sighting. And what he did after hours in a church that he says probably means he's going to hell and that's without talking about his big hit songs too, so I'm excited to let you hear that. The other Greg in question is a drummer with one of my favourite bands, very sadly a very short-lived band due to the lead singer passing away just before the debut album was due to be released. The band is Mother Love Bone, the late 80s Seattle group. Now, Greg Gilmore was the drummer in this band, which also contained the flamboyant singer Andy Wood, but also two guys that, in the wake of Andy Wood's death, would go on to form a teeny tiny group that have had just the five number one US albums, and may have sold upwards of 100 million records worldwide i'm talking about jeff amont and stone gossard of pearl jam anyway i've got greg on to talk a little bit about that plus about the fact he was in a band with another huge superstar in the early 80s duff mckagan who went on to help form guns N' roses their band was called the living and previously unreleased music of theirs is set to finally come out so we chatted a lot about that as well so another packed show for you as always I had a great response to last week's show. Big interview with Steve Fossen from the band Heart. He told some great stories about his time in the band and the bit that seemed to resonate with most people was his story about the rehearsal for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. Now if you've not had a chance to listen to that episode yet, definitely go back and do so. It had another interview on there as well with author Edwin Amelan talking about his new book about Pink Floyd and that is certainly worth checking out too. A couple of quick hellos as well to Dave Alcock listening from a country where festivals are in full swing. Lucky him. Uh, Jason Barnard from the Strange Brew Podcast. Definitely check that out. Janice Robles and Judy Hoffman and Sounds Records in Canterbury too. Thanks very much for the interactions this week. Love hearing from you all. Uh, right, let's get into this first interview then. It's a cracker. Whatever you're doing right now: commuting, driving, out for a walk with a dog, chilling in your house. Maybe you're supposed to be working, like my friend Tipso is. But whatever it is, settle in for this and enjoy my chat with Greg Kin. Now, my next guest on Vintage Rock Pod is an absolute legend in my eyes. I've been playing his music for many, many years, and it's a pleasure for me to speak to him. In fact, it's a Kin pleasure to speak to him. <laughs> I welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, Greg Kin. Hey, how you doing, Paul? How is everything? It's It's as good as it can be. I tell you what, we're still in lockdown here in Scotland, and I've been four months now already without a haircut as you can see it's pretty mental yeah yeah, i just got mine
0: cut yesterday and i had uh lucky i just got my second shot ah so i should be good to go i think it's uh you gotta wait a week and a half Mm -hmm. for that to work its way through your system but i just got my second shot three
1: days ago so
0: i'm hoping whenever the music business lets me in that's when I'll be back in playing again.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we look forward to that. But what I'm going to do right now is take you back to the very, very beginning, if you don't mind, Greg. Now, obviously, you were born and brought up in Baltimore. Now, the story I want to hear first is uh, one of your mum sending off a, a tape of yours to a local radio station talent contest. Can you <laughs> tell us that one? Do you remember
0: those little tape recorders? I think they were made by Wall and Sec and the, the reels were about three inch reels. And I had been recording demos in my bathroom, you know, <laughs> my mom's house.
1: Acoustics must have been great.
0: <laughs> and uh, <laughs> one day she found one and she sent it into the radio station, which at the time was WCAO in Baltimore, Maryland. Nothing go, you know, for, for a week or two or three, nothing happens. Then I get a phone call. We've won the talent contest <laughs> and uh it must have been a year a tough year for talent i think in in the uh in baltimore but what happened was i won three things that would ultimately inspire my life one of them was a nice electric guitar a vox teardrop electric guitar uh, a little bit like uh, brian Jones's teardrop nice. yep.
1: uh,
0: i also got a um an electric typewriter believe it or not and a stack of records you know, as if I could have looked into a crystal ball and see that I was on the radio as a DJ for, I mean, seventeen years in the morning, which is pretty substantial in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. and uh, and I and obviously I used the guitar and some some albums, so all of the things that I got. Really influenced me later in life. I didn't know mm-hmm. it then, but later in life, it it would be
1: incredible stuff. You, you touched there quickly on the, on the radio career you had. I, I mean, as a, as a former radio host as well here in the UK. I mean, eighteen years, seventeen years on the breakfast show. That's some going. Isn't oh it?
0: yeah, you know it's brutal, and Ryan. I. For about uh, for that eighteen years, I was just like kind of out of the loop, if you will. All of my friends and I I had a lot of friends here in the music business in the Bay Area, like Eddie Money and Huey Lewis and uh, guys like that. Journey, uh, they were all going out having their tours, just having a rave Mm -hmm. up time, and I was still back here having to get up at you know five o'clock on Monday morning, and you know it was uh, I won't say it was it was difficult because it was really easy. I basically was being myself and talking about rock and roll, but you know, the, the songwriting that suffered a little bit, the, obviously the touring. So when we, when I finally got released from that job after 17 years, I was forgotten. So I got a lot of uh, attention going around a third time and it was a lot of fun. I will say of all the things that I do playing live, Rock and roll live is the most fun, and and that really that's it. It becomes your life, you know. It becomes your mistress. It becomes everything. And then
1: um, you got to play some huge songs, which became big, big hits as well. And the first of which we'll touch on obviously is, is breakup song. It was the one that that really, I mean, you guys had put you'd released. What was it six albums or so by this point, and you're you're big in the area, but breakup song really catapulted you massive, didn't it?
0: Yeah, you know, there were a lot of uh, uh, albums that. Uh, that were made god how many, that was i think our sixth or seventh album
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: uh when we finally hit with uh, the breakup song and the breakup song was really <laughs> interestingly enough it was the chorus of one song and the uh, verses from another song and i had uh these these chunks of songs and uh and i remember steve wright the bass player s- saying let's take the uh chorus of this one and put plugging in with the verses of this one and see if it's a song i thought i was going to be in trouble because i didn't have enough lyrics to stretch through a whole song so <laughs> i was just singing uh, 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 <laughs> which was you know kind of a face a space filler you know it was just uh, it was a marker there and uh i went in the studio and i think it was about two days later to record the song And I hadn't written any lyrics, so I just stayed with the ah, 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 ah. And ironically, that was what everybody remembered about the song. And uh, (laughs) I think uh, the fact that it translates into any known language (laughs) probably helped it along. It was a big hit in Japan. Who, who would figure, you
1: know? <laughs> they could sing along. That was one of the reasons, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we'll touch on the other massive song, which, which went huge as well, Jeopardy. I mean, in terms of the song itself, it's fantastic. But it was also very, very um, groundbreaking in terms of the video as well, wasn't it, at the time? Because it, there was a concept. There was a story behind it. Because at that sort of stage, early 80s, it was all... Uh, almost fake live yeah. sort of music or bands playing on stage. That was it. But you guys came with a story, and that's what really caught hold. The
0: cool thing was that it was among the first concept videos. So when we went in there to do this, I remember the, uh, the band meeting and the director going, well, what are you guys into? Nobody was into anything. It was like, and I, I finally said, well, I kind of like old horror movies. <laughs> because that's it. That's your idea. So I went. Uh, we went in, and we had a really a lot of fun yeah, uh, recording that video. I mean, we did things that. Well, you know, I, I it was a it was in a church. It was Mission Dolores Catholic Church in downtown San Francisco, right there on Dolores Park. <laughs> All I can say, Paul, is that. I'm definitely going to hell for the things I did after hours in that church because obviously we were using things the way it never had been intended to be used. A lot of fun. Uh, we did it. I think we did it in one four, four day suite. And, uh, it was, it was fun. I remember the, we were using, uh, cheap little tricks. Like there was a thing where I had a rubber snake around me and
1: it <laughs> yes. popped,
0: popped up through the, the floor and wrapped around me and pulled me down. So what we did was yeah. we wrapped the snake tightly around me and we shot it in reverse. So it looked like the, the, the snake was going, ah. and then clamping on my head and then down. I went, but it was the opposite, but it was, it was, it was such a cool effect. You know, we, we actually were a lot, a lot of people thought, wow, that was an expensive, Special effect? No, it wasn't. It was uh it was a twenty nine dollar effect, but it, it did get the job done, and we had a lot of fun. Making that video was probably one of my uh my best memories of that that era.
1: Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And you talk about having fun and stuff. Weird Al took that song, didn't he? And and he made his own version of it, and you got involved as well in the video, right at the very end. Oh I mean, yeah, was your... that,
0: that was beautiful because uh, he he called me up uh to come down to L.A. to to be in the video, and I you know I was it was, I was just, uh, you know, kind of like icing dressing. It was, uh, mm-hmm. we did it in one afternoon shoot. And the cool thing about it was I got to meet Don Pardo, <laughs> the, the uh, great American announcer, you know, let me tell you what you haven't won. Uh, and Don Pardo was, he was, a, and he was funny and hanging out with weird Al all day was a lot of fun. And, uh, that was one of the good ones because it was a it was a hit for us, and uh, it, you know I think it was it got all the way to number one, and then uh, it was a hit for him, <laughs> and he had to go on the road and promote it. And I just had to stay home.
1: <laughs> it was a lot of fun too. Absolutely, and another fun story I heard you once tell was is one that I'd love to hear again now, um, it concerns uh, Bruce Springsteen, the boss, uh, Rendezvous, oh, yeah. and Squirrels. Can you fill us in what connects yeah. them? <laughs> well.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, Springsteen was a fan And used to show up at our gigs You know, and We were playing at the Roxy uh, In LA And uh, Springsteen just kind of showed up Out of the clear blue sky And, and uh, he, he said You know I, I got another song That I guys would like to try uh, It's called Rendezvous And it's not been recorded yet And this would have probably been A born to run outtake Okay. Uh, that was the era. Yeah. Um, I remember doing it and, and thinking to myself, Springsteen's not really known for his diction. Okay. <laughs> in fact, he's <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was very hard to understand him on it sometimes. <laughs> and so, uh, he wrote down the lyrics to rendezvous with on a napkin from the Roxy, which I put it in my pocket. We had to do a second show. And it turned into white pulp. Oh. Just white. Anyway, so I I, I called to uh, Springsteen's office and I asked John Landau, "Could you send me the real lyrics? I I have no idea what I'm singing here." He's no no problem. So he sends <laughs> me a, another tape of Springsteen doing the song, and I swear the second verse to me, it's because I played it for everybody. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, it sounded like. He was singing, We Desire So Much More Than Squirrels. <laughs> and I think, hmm, that's, that's interesting. Wow. Anyway, so I recorded it just like he did. You know, you've got to do it with the Springsteen yeah. touch. Of, we desire so much more than Just kind of <laughs> let that last note kind of dissipate. And uh, about two months later, when the, when the record comes out, Springsteen calls me and he goes, Man, there ain't no squirrels in that song, dude. <laughs> so, I don't you know what the real uh lyric was, we desire so much more than this girl. <laughs> well, you could
1: have
0: he could have knocked me back with a with a feather. I was just but well, we desire and so to this today, to this today, uh I still do we desire so much more.
1: Than we do. I agree. We certainly do. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We seized the day. <laughs> um, I just want to touch as well on um, your surname. Obviously, Kin, it's something that you've used in so many puns, um, not just from your albums. You had some incredible album titles, Rock and Roll, Continued and Contagious and all these sorts of things. Oh, but you have, you would think you have were... Kinsets as well, don't you? I mean, who's, I, where did that first come from? When did you first click on that? You know, my mother, bless oh, her right. soul.
0: And, and, you know, she'd always come up with uh, ideas at certain junctures along my career. And we were looking for an album, the second, the, the second album. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and my mother said, why don't you call it Greg Kin again? Okay, why not? And then the next one was Next of Kin. And suddenly, at that point, I had created a monster that would not die. Over the <laughs> years, I mean, we've had Contagious, con- Consolidation, Continued. Well, there were 18 or 19 albums, and I couldn't even re- remember three of them, right, there But it, is, uh, <laughs> it was one of those things where once you started it, you couldn't get off the train.
1: Incredible. It's lasted even until your, your most recent album, was it three or four years ago, Rekindled? Um, how... Rekindled, yeah. Now, here's a here we
0: go. Here's my quandary. Okay. We're working on an album, and we're almost, you know, we're maybe one or two songs from the end. And I'm thinking, what do I what do I call the album? Obviously, it's got to have another kin, a snappy, you know, one of those uh, cle- clever, you know, kind of songs. And, uh, uh, you yeah. know, yeah, we, we tried. I thought that I had done every kin pun in, in creation, but no, <laughs> no, it went on and on and it's still going on to this day. It's amazing. I, what do we settle on oh god i've I forgotten the, i've already forgotten the title <laughs> but uh i think well my mom's no longer with us but i think i would have kept that up until she passed you know that that was just too good of an idea and you know you look back uh we've a you know the albums have their own personalities you know those early berserkly albums yep. for instance and
1: uh the uh,
0: mm-hmm. albums that we had uh, you know uh, Ones that we had done after the great breakup song and we had a little uh, energy and we had an actual hit behind us Um, and that, you know, it just it everything made sense. It was all putting one foot in front of the other really never gave it a lot of thought just we just were having fun and we just kept
1: going. There's a lot to be said for that, isn't there? Um, you mentioned the, the new album. You're working on new music there. What's the, You say you're a couple of songs away. Um, it sounds exciting. You, you, you're in the studio again, mixing and, and putting tracks down. I mean, when can we expect to hear this this album?
0: Yeah, uh, I have no idea about when it's going to come out because, I, you know, that's 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 a higher pay grade than, than I yes. normally <laughs> am with. Uh, but I just put it down as, uh, you know, we, we don't, we don't start off thinking album, you know, like, let's get to 10 songs and we'll stop. And that'll be the album. We just kind of kept going and and, until it all felt right. And then we just put it together. I will say this though, uh, subject matter. I would really going back. I'd kind of gone back to my early days musically. Um, And the stuff that we're doing in the studio now, it's like I've I've regressed. And I'm like, I'm I'm a 10-year-old again. And uh, (laughs) we had so much fun making the album. For instance, uh, the album that we're, the song we're working on today in the studio here is called Saucers on Southway. And it was about an episode when I was a young kid and we lived on Southway, by the way. Mm And my house was buzzed by flying saucers. You know, we were, I was with a, a friend and we were camping out in the backyard and the saucers came right down. I mean, within inches of our faces. Obviously, we were paralyzed with fear. And it was my best friend at the time, Vinny. Vinny and I jumped up, you know, and ran in the house. You know, no words were spoken because the saucers were just coming right down on us, inches from our noses and it and i thought and it was such a life-changing event you know i thought about those saucers for the rest of my life even now when i'm looking at the sky i think about them and i think to myself you know what was the purpose of that were they trying to freak out two 10 year old kids what were they doing i don't know but it it all worked together and and i got to the point where i just accepted you know i i got i have you know and other people would start uh exchanging their flying saucer songs i oh now I had one, <laughs> so it was kind of funny
1: incredible um and you you talk about, about uh, a little bit earlier about your love of of horror and and old horror and stuff like that and another thing we should mention is that you're you're a very successful author as well. you've brought up many books you've actually won awards for some of your horror horror stories as well, haven't you
0: yeah, yeah, as a matter of fact, I got a new one uh should be coming out uh, I would say in the next couple of months. Uh, it's called the devil, the devil and Hank Williams. Ah. And I, I'm not going to tell you anything more than Hank Williams is a character in the in the novel. And obviously they deal with the devil. So it's it's really interesting thing. Uh, and then I, I wrote another one about the mafia in the, in the record business and how they had manipulated. When I was a kid growing up in Baltimore, uh, I would meet a lot of these wise guys. And they always wanted to, you know, hey, kid, I want to make you star. And uh, thank God I never went down that road. But, you know, it's really interesting that that I went back to ideas that I'd had when I was a kid with, you know, with the flying saucers and the mafia and stuff like that. And they all seem to fit together right now. There's a you know, there's there's something going on here. It's bigger than me. And it's bigger than you, too, Paul.
1: (laughs) It's something going on here. And we'll see. We will we'll see. see, indeed. Uh, and just, just uh, for everyone who wants to follow you and find out what you're doing and keep in touch with your music and everything, what's the best way to to keep in touch with Greg Ken?
0: Oh, the best way is uh, gregkin.com dot uh, for everything. I, I I've got my literary stuff, so you can. I got like seven novels written now. Yeah. I don't know. If, I I I keep wanting this. Uh, there's a a guy named Dustbin Bob, and he's the guy that obviously cleans out the dustbin. And he becomes friends with the Beatles. And he is a, uh, has access to all the great 45 RPM records that they were bringing back from, uh, to Liverpool from New York, well, back and forth. And, uh, yep. and it, 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 the man, the, the guy that I patterned is after was an actual guy that used to work for Berserkly back in the day and ah. it, it all felt t- together. Sometimes the, the magic works and sometimes it
1: doesn't. <laughs> I think we can say that about everything in life, can't we, Greg? But uh, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting uh, with you, Greg, and we, we really look forward to hearing this new music when it arises.
0: Well, thanks a whole lot, Paul. And, and I hope that uh, I get over on your side of the pond and we can uh, hang out a little bit, maybe hoist a cold one or two.
1: Absolutely. One or two indeed. Greg, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you a born entertainer isn't he a great storyteller and what a life he's had looking forward to checking out his new music when it arrives and interestingly is in the studio working with Robert Berry who's worked extensively with Keith Emerson and in fact joined Keith Emerson and Carl Palmer for an ELP spin-off group in the 80s called 3 so I'm really interested to hear how this new Greg Kinn album is going to turn out but that's for the future right now though it's time to look back at his back catalog as i bring you the vintage rock pod top 5 Greg Kinn songs At five is a fairly unusual track for this rock and roller in that it's nearly seven minutes, but it's bouncy, rolling rhythm, hustles and bustles along in an almost hushed fashion. It's track three on his third album, Next of Kin. At number five is Remember. For my choice at number four, it's the opening track of his 1980 album, Glass House Rock. It's a harder song, more frenetic paced, fast picking guitar, an incessant snare drum with soaring chorus vocal, and it's all wrapped up in two and a half minutes. At number four is Castaway. My number three song is another upbeat rocky number and another album opener, this time from the 1982 Continued record. Big sing-along chorus always helps too. Number three is Happy Man. For number two, it's Greg's biggest charting single, reaching number two on the Billboard Hot 100, high on the Australian charts, and was the only one to get traction here in the UK as well. Unusual for its time, it had a concept video to accompany it. A number two from the Conspiracy album in 1983 is Jeopardy. Which leaves us with the obvious choice for number one, but it is brilliant. It's the song that burst him into the mainstream. It's BT with a driving bass, easy to remember lyrics. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh they just don't write them like that anymore. It's a memorable, catchy chorus that sticks with you for the rest of the day. The number one song from Greg Kin, according to Vintage Rock Pod, is the fantastic breakup song. There you go, those are my thoughts. The best five Greg Kin songs. If you're not familiar with Greg's work, as I know he wasn't a huge name here in the UK at least, definitely check him out, and others as well, because there's some great tunes that missed out on the top five, like... Another Girl, Another Planet, with a brilliant Joe Satriani blasting on the guitar. There's Testify, Valerie, Can't Stop hurting Myself, and the subtle tones of every love song as well. If you're a fan of Greg, I'm sure you'll probably have your own thoughts on that top five, so do please let me know. What do you agree with or disagree with? Drop me an email, vintagerockpod at gmail.com, or you can message me on the socials, just search for Vintage Rock Pod. I seem to be on a bit of a roll lately. Last week's top five heart songs were met mainly with agreement, the odd track people said should have been included. Marsh Halliday saying Mistral Wind should have been on the list. A couple of shouts from George Williams and Bergson saying these dreams had to be on there, but on the whole, it seemed to go down well, which is quite nice. I just want to mention too, to sign up to become a Vintage Rock Pod VRP VIP. You'll find out first who's going to be on future episodes and get the chance to put your very own question to those future guests too. There will also be giveaways and various other information on there too. All you need to do is sign up on the form on the website, VintageRockPod.com. It's completely free free just head to vintage and fill in the form on the bottom of the first page there now it's time to hear from our second guest on this week's show and it's another greg as i said earlier greg gilmore is a drummer and he played with some of seattle's finest musicians and i got hold of him to talk about this and about a very special new release something new has come to light that, that you've had hidden away, or I don't know if you, was it, was it lost or is it something that you found recently, but it's kind of come to light, hasn't it? This, this, um, tape that you had of, of a band that you had back in 1982 with Duff McKagan, who went on to, to obviously be in guns and roses, but it, it's material that you had from when, when you guys were really young. Yeah.
2: We were all, uh, I don't know, 18, 19, 20. The, um, John Conti singer had the original eight track master tapes. And, um, it was eight or ten years, it could have been ten years ago, eight years ago at least, I think, that a chance meeting of some people's, uh, the idea of making a record out of these old tapes finally came together. And um, long story short, that didn't work out. And two more after didn't work out. And then Stone and Regan that Loose Crew. Got interested and involved, and um, there was like, quite a bit of uh, frustration for sure in those years prior, but um, probably worth it in the end. It's getting more more attention than I um, certainly expected or could have imagined. This is the best situation out of out of everything. Yeah, it's great.
1: Good stuff, and, and you talk about you're in the band, and obviously we have to talk about Duff, don't we? Because he, he did go on to to being Guns and Roses, and and they just kind of blew up. But he was really young, and he was was he the main songwriter in the band at the time? Uh he was, yeah. And um, the the compositions that he did, and the, you guys went into the studio for a, a day or two, perhaps, and and you laid down these songs, which is what we're now seeing, isn't it? Nineteen eighty two, The Living.
2: Yeah, it's a result of two recording sessions, and just like they are on the record. I'm not sure that the uh, the actual sequence that we recorded was as they are laid out on the record, but the first five songs are from the first session. And then um, we did a subsequent session with um, an intern of the engineer of the first session. It could not have been more than a couple weeks later. And that's where we did the last two songs on the record. And um, that was it, two sessions and then a mix session each um those aren't the mixes that we're using today but
1: so give us a bit of information about the band then i mean how, how long were the band together did you did you perform many gigs or was, it, was it a long period a short period probably
2: from january sometime in january 82 till um it looks like our last show was in july and probably called it quits not long after that show at least i don't know within it couple of weeks or a month we did play a fair amount um, I don't have a lot of specific recollection of those shows we did uh, we went to Vancouver up to Vancouver once or twice otherwise I think we just played in Seattle I don't remember I don't think we even went to Portland which from here would does are two you know it's common to go north to vancouver bc or down to portland oregon
1: absolutely and you mentioned seattle there i mean this the guys that have looked after the tapes and they're talking about this this recordings as being the the the, the pioneers of the punk of that seattle movement aren't they um
2: it yeah it seems to be yeah you know that kind of it's always hard to say <laughs> about that it definitely uh in general that was the time you know the very early days of it here and as it turns out, this record is a pretty great document of you know, that moment.
1: And at the moment, you talk about this record itself. It, it's going to be released on uh, the 16th of April, and it's going to be available on digital download, that sort of thing, but also on something pretty impressive, vinyl as well, different colored vinyl. Yes.
2: Yeah. As I understand, there are three colors of vinyl, uh, white, red, and yellow, <laughs> yellow, gold, that I think.
1: Definitely worth it for any sort of collector of the, the punk kind of early Seattle kind of grunge movement. It's, it's definitely worth listening to and getting hold of. And and we talk about that. It's being released on um, A Loose Groove Records, isn't it? And yeah. co-founder Stone Gossard, who everybody knows, is, is involved in this whole release, isn't he? Right. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. He and um, Regan Hagar, they've both been just super great, really supportive.
1: Fantastic! And very enthusiastic. And just to talk quickly about uh, Mother Lovebone then, because obviously you're you're the drummer in the band, and what what what's your memories of, of playing within that group then, with with the, the huge characters that were were part of that band?
2: Uh, yeah, there was a lot of personality in that band for sure. Uh, <laughs> it was it was fun. It was really fun. It was a life changing experience. You know, the whole thing from the very from the first moments. It was it was a whirlwind, you know. A lot happened, and um, I don't even know was it even, was it. I don't think it was was it even three three years. I don't think so. due a couple of years, but you know, took out the business, the record deal, uh, toured a little bit, made a couple of records. We all packed up and went and camped out in Sausalito california you know to make apple and uh, that was really fun to just be focused in in this place for no other reason than, than to make a record so i just it was fun i love the whole thing yeah.
1: fantastic stuff and it's, it's one of those mean, people look back at it now and there's always articles on it and, and video clips and everything talking about how big the band would have been they would have been world conquerors they were right at the front of that whole seattle movement and then uh, very, very sadly, Andy would passed away, didn't he? Just moments before the record was due to be released. Yeah. I mean, that must have been crushing.
2: Um, yeah, it w- Yes, it was. Don't know how to, you know, uh, <laughs> the night that that Andy went to the hospital, uh, Jeff and I were out with our manager, having a dinner with a prospective tour manager. You know, so we were just at the task of putting a tour together. A record was about to come out and then, uh, you know, a couple of days later, none of that was happening. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah, a lot to deal with in uh, a short time.
1: Absolutely. And just looking back now on, on the band and the music, do you, do you listen to, to the music of Mother Love Bone? Do you listen back fondly? Um,
2: I do. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't listen to it often. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm still proud of that record. It's a great record. Absolutely. Well, like I said, just the process of making it was such an experience. It was uh, maybe for, for me personally, at least, that's um, the most significant, powerful Part of that whole process was just what it does to your, to your mind, to your, to your playing, to be so intensely focused
1: on something like that. So.
2: It's really great. It's powerful.
1: Well, Greg, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And um, like I said, the the Living Release 1982, featuring yourself and, and Duff McKagan from um, Guns N' Roses and, and the other boys in the band as well. It's going to be out on April the 16th. And like I said, you can get it digitally and you can get it on vinyl in three different versions as well. So, Greg, thank you very much for joining us here on the Vintage Rock Pod. Thank you. It's fun. Big thanks to Greg for taking the time to chat there. I've had a sneak listen to that. I've had a press pre-release copy of the Living Album 1982, and it is. It's raw, it's visceral, it's raging punk. If you like that scene, then definitely do check it out. Also on the uh, Mother Love Bone chat, if this is the first time you're hearing of the band, or maybe you've heard the name but haven't listened to them, please do so. Their solitary album has long been in my favourite top ten of all time. Although they were in Seattle scene, it's not as grungy as you'd expect. Andy Wood, the frontman, was a very flamboyant in his appearance, demeanour on stage, his lyrics and vocally too. Give them a listen. I've always loved tracks like Captain High Top, Chloe The Crown of Thorns is another favourite, and then the big hitters of like This Is Shangri-La and Stardog Champion and plenty others as well. And considering they only had one album, it is very, very good indeed. Highly recommended. So that's it for another packed episode then. If this is the first time you've listened to Vintage Rock Pod, then please hit the follow or subscribe button to make 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 sure you don't miss these future episodes. They come out every Monday morning. There's always big-name interviews on there. We get a bit of news as well, some nostalgia, and we fill you in with all your classic rock needs. You can take a scroll back and see some of the big-name guests we've interviewed so far, including people from various sorts of classic rock groups like classic groups like Zombies and the Faces punk bands like the Buzzcocks we've got prog groups like Yes Focus and Genesis we've got rock bands like Heart Dire Straits Big Country we've got the hard rock bands like Scorpions Rainbow Nazareth and Alice Cooper and solo stars as well like Susie Quattro and John Parr thrown in we also have like songwriters who've worked with the Eagles and rubbed shoulders with the Beatles we've got authors from journalists and people that have written books and all that sort of stuff there is loads and loads of stuff going on on these previous episodes so please do go check them out give us a follow or a like on social media as well just search for vintage rock pod on facebook twitter instagram and on youtube as well where i post some of the videos of the interviews that i've done and various of the top fives and quizzes and things like that so worth checking us out on on youtube as well don't forget to sign up to become a vrp vip at vintagerockpod.com. tell your friends your family your neighbors your colleagues anyone really to get listening and join in Until episode 23, then remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them, my music is better than yours. Take care.